Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarice Christensen, and today we're going to be talking about nutrition. We're going to be talking about going through menopause holistically, which if you know me and you've been listening to this show for a little while, and if you're new, you'll find out that that's a huge passion point of mine. And so I was so delighted through a mutual group to be connected with somebody who I think shares a lot of the similar ideas around menopause, and that's Claire Shepherd. She's a nutritional therapist, and she has a special interest in helping women to go through menopause really well and into the age beyond. Welcome to the show, Claire. Oh, hello, Clarissa. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you pre this interview, and I'm so excited that you're here. Yes, we had a fantastic conversation, didn't we? I think we could have spoken all day. Indeed, (laughs) that's very true. Tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing. Oh, gosh. Well, I'll try and keep this really, really brief. So after I had my second child, you know, baby hormones are all over the place, but they just didn't seem to settle down. But the doctors ignored me. So, you know, it'll be all right. They'll settle down. It's just what it is and blah, blah, blah. And over the following, and this is my early 30s, and over the following seven years, I saw seven doctors. And each time, it was most most peculiar, each time I was like presenting them with a, a different concern, a different fear. And I started having panic attacks. I was so fatigued that I actually didn't pick the kids up from nursery twice. And all sorts of you know, just not feeling right in my body and my mind. And alongside all that, I was getting increasing stomach pains. And it was just a friend who was an acupuncturist who said to me, you could be going through menopause. It sounds just like that to me. And I thought, don't be ridiculous. You know, I'm 39. I didn't even know what the word meant, let alone, you know, what I was going to do about this word, you know, how it was affecting me. But I did go to see an endocrinologist privately who told me that it appeared from my blood test. I was well into the menopause transition and that the severe pain was very likely to be endometriosis. So I had that checked out by a gynecologist and yes, it was really severe. And the recommendation was that I have a full hysterectomy and that's what I did age 39. So I was thinking about this, reflecting upon this 
I mean, it was an awful seven years and I really didn't want to go back to how I felt in that time. On reflection, I decided that I could potentially have contributed towards that ill health because I really, you know, I was smoking too much, drinking too much, playing too hard in the past life. And so I set off on a mission to find out what I could do to help myself, which I did. I did three years nutrition study alongside all sorts of many other modalities that either trained or explored. And so when I decided to come off HRT, and, and that decision to come off HRT was based on the studies around the turn of the 2000s, so the Women's Health Initiative, and there was a lot of bad press about HRT. So I decided to find out what I could do to help myself. That's what I did. And that's what I do now to help other women. Because I remember even now, so long post-menopause, I recall what it was like to feel during those menopause years. And if I can help any other woman not feel as dire, then, you know, I share that information. Wow, Claire, that is a huge story. And I think that's that first is kind of not getting the support, which is an all too familiar conversation that comes with, I'd say, 75% of the wonderful guests I've had on this show saying, I receive no support. And, and, you know, my story is exactly the same, which is probably why we're both here doing what we're doing, because you, know, you don't get any kind of, you just get blank looks or you know, nothing, or you're pushed away with some antidepressant at the very best. And and then for you to realize that you were at 39, which we now know is not as young as we, you know, as we used to think. We were all talking about 50, but I mean, so many women are now, aren't they, Claire, 39, for, between 39 and 45, that this journey has begun. And all that uncovering under that as well. But I, and I also really love in your story, which we'll pick up a bit later, is about the lifestyle choices that you'd made. Yeah, absolutely. I can share this, share this now, although it took me some years to have to do this. I didn't eat a vegetable until I was 27. So, you know, I would eat them raw, but I couldn't eat. I couldn't bear them cooked. I think I had a lot to school, do with school dinners, to be fair. But, well, I think about it now. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Clarissa. They, one in a hundred women are classed as early menopause, and that's before the age of, that's between the gap 40 to 45. Below the age of 40, then premature ovarian insufficiency, or as they, they call it now, POF in my day, it was used the word failure, which is really not a nice word, is it? That's one in a thousand. So, you know, and then one in 10,000 are under the age of 30. We need to raise menopause awareness and really encourage women to be empowered, to know what they can do to help themselves as they transition through this time. Exactly. And I, and I think that you've made such a strong point there about how much younger and it is incredibly hard to get women to come to the party when they're younger. They go, oh, well, I'm not 50. And I'm thinking, well, well, you know, we're not getting that message. We're not reaching women even in their 40s. And we're certainly, as you said, not reaching women in their mid-30s mid and, and women in their early years, I think, have spun around the system, quite frankly, and don't realize that what they're experiencing is perimenopause. Instead of being told there's something wrong with them or being ignored or being just, you know, I think just just dismissed as if they're slightly neurotic and something's, you know, and and so it's that whole issue of raising the game and getting younger women on this journey is so important. 
Yeah, absolutely. Massively, massively important. And there are movements starting to help to do that. I think I shared with you when we first spoke that I'm co-founder of the Positivity Poster Campaign in the UK. And that was born just out of an idea just under two years ago now. Well, I was talking to somebody on Twitter and she said she was going, or still is, going through an awful menopause and saying how she'd been disregarded. And as you say, that's a story that we continue to hear so often, isn't it? Um, dismissed by the uh, doctors, misunderstood, not heard. I mean, I think that's so important. Listen to, but not heard. And we decided that wouldn't it be a great idea to have a poster in all GP surgeries in the, in the UK? And we achieved that in Wales. It's had harder, incredibly harder, to get it in, um, in England. But, you know, it was just, you know, when that woman is sat there wondering what's going on to her body and her mind, being fearful about what it may be, but to see a poster or some information as she starts to join the job. Exactly. She joins the dots, yeah? Yeah, I mean, not being heard. And being, and I think the other side, and I saw some absolutely shocking statistics from the US, that more than 60% of students who'd qualified as doctors and were working as intern medical, you know, you know, housemen or whatever we call them, had no idea what they would do if they were presented with a woman who has pre, who is early menopause or who was presenting with severe system, symptoms. They didn't have clue. I'm not surprised. Really, really not surprised. And if you look at the, the guidelines for the UK, the NICE guidelines, basically GPs have no, or very, very few GPs have any training menopause. Um, but the NICE guidelines say if a woman is o- age over 45, presents with hot flushes and irregular and or heavy or changed periods, then it should flag up the word menopause. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to laugh because it's appalling. It's incredible. It's incredible. We know that there are at least 34 to 40 different symptoms that can make up your experience. I mean, hot flushes, yes, it's common, but it's only common towards, it's mostly common towards the end of of your perimenopause journey. Yeah, so basically they're going all this time feeling anxious, putting on weight, not able to sleep, and and the whole range, which is obviously hugely bigger than that, and receiving nothing because you don't tick those two boxes. Exactly, exactly. You know, for people who are listening and aren't in that stage of experiencing severe symptoms yet, you know, this just to let you know that the symptoms have knock-on effects. So poor sleep affects the brain fog that you might experience, um, the lack of mental clarity, your ability to perform your job or daily functions properly, and that affects your self-confidence, that affects your self-worth, that promotes anxiety. That anxiety then contributes towards less, you know, less able to have a good night's sleep. And so there's this vicious circle, a single symptom like, like insomnia, not having a good night's sleep can impact every area of life, in workplace, in the home, you know, everywhere. Totally agree. And I think that, Claire, is the thing that concerns us is that we're not then saying, what foundation are, is being laid for heart disease, for dementia and Alzheimer's? All of these things can be arising 
partly because we're having hormonal changes. We know that the loss of estrogen in particular has an impact there. But the fact that the changes in our lifestyle around sleep, around fatigue and all these things can be so much more than just the symptom it is. And that's why doctors need to be taking this seriously and and acting on it. Wouldn't it be joyous if we could have, well, obviously have so much more awareness of menopause throughout all the ages, um, but also to have menopause clinics in every country, where <laughs> every city, where women who were concerned could just go and get some reassurance. But with, with them, the younger generations, I think that we have a responsibility to share this knowledge with them as much as we possibly can and not to stick to the stereotyped middle-aged stooped up women who are incapable of doing anything, who are invisible, who, you know, all these, all these stereotypes that you know, the people, younger people can get of somebody who's going through the menopause. And it's our responsibility, I think, to really share information with them, but not make it negative you know, not compound that that stereotype image that they have of us, but to let them know that, yeah, this can be really difficult, but it can also, you can also do something to help yourself and it can be really empowering. I agree. And I think that's the word empowering because in so many ways, this is a time when we stop, we actually stop having to race and rush if we allow ourselves and we allow this menopause transition to unfold. Parts of it are absolutely horrid. That's true. But knowing that what the symptoms are and knowing that some things you can do about it, particularly around our lifestyle, what we eat, how we move, what we smoke, how much alcohol we drink, we can help ourselves. But also knowing that this is such a great time for stepping back and thinking, what do I want to do with my life? Gosh, that's so true. That is so, so true. And how many women do we hear of who are in their 50s, early 50s, make significant life changes? They start their own business. They might leave their partners, long-term partners. They might decide that, do you know what? This is my time. You know, take away the guilt and the expectations of others and meet their own expectations of how they want to live their life. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see how much more we can raise up women who are 50, 55, 60, 70, doing wonderful things. And one side of that is the images we put out of women. You know, as you said, we don't want to appear looking stooped and hopeless and, you know, dowdy. And I have no understanding why we need to do that. (laughs) But I think some of it's to do with marketing departments are filled with people who are 20. Oh, gosh, I I think I would agree with that, because I don't think of anybody really age 50 plus who would agree with the images that the media put out at all. And and, I don't know about you, Clarissa, but when I'm looking to for images to do some promotions or blog posts or something to find an appropriate positive image of women age 50 plus is incredibly difficult. Well, I'd say it's pretty close to impossible. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of think, well, that's not me. So I'm 61, I'm about to turn 61. And I think, well, I don't look like that. Sure, we've got more wrinkles and stuff. But I think there was an ad that came out and it was about midlife. And then they showed wrinkly hands of a 90-year-old. And I thought that's just appalling to do that. Yeah, it is. It's really, really bad. And I think it was quite, I don't know if it's the same 
ads that we saw, but there was a our menopause Twitter groups and you know the noise that we make there. There was de- there were definitely lots of comments about that. Yeah, they were. There were, and I think it's great to have a campaign everywhere because this is not just a UK thing. It's definitely a US thing. They're an Australian thing. They're obsessed about you even more than I think Europe is. And I think I'm only lucky that I live in a country that doesn't quite have that sense of, you know, sort of ageism to the same degree. And I'm not sure why that is, but it, it just is. Do you think, just thinking about what you said there, do you think that's anything to do with social media nowadays? I'm thinking, I'm 67, so I'm not obsessed with my youth, but looking, I like to look, I think I look good for my age. <laughs> And a lot of my friends age 50 plus uh, don't seem too concerned, but the younger generation, I mean, this is, I don't want to sound patronizing or anything, but there's a lot more image consciousness in, on social media with the younger generation. I totally agree. And I think they're growing up in this Instagram world where they're creating a comparative culture. I mean, I think it's always been there with women, but it's absolutely accentuated And there was a really good article that came out on The Guardian. And it was horrid, actually. It was really, really horrid because what was going on was really this conversation about tweakments. And I was like, so when you're 25, you want to try and stay as young as possible. And it starts even younger. And then at 40, people were tweaking to try and stay looking like they were 40, like that sort of locked in, frozen in time. It's really sad, actually. Yeah. And unfortunately, you can't stop estrogen. It it does its thing with it. You know, even if you have HRT, you're going to age. It's, well, that's what that's what we do. We're born and we age and we die. We know that is it's life's transition. And it's what we make of that time as we go through that transition that is so important. You know, I do believe, despite all the things that life has thrown at me, that Postmenopause is the most empowering time. It's the time when I feel most in control, most confident, and certainly most free. Of, you know, yeah, free to live life as I cho- as I choose to live. To be fair, and obviously without hurting anybody else. But I'm not, you know, I'm not living up to other people's expectations all the time. I, ha- I feel I have the strength to live life as I want to live it. I love that. I really love that, and I think that is what we're seeing. This our generation and the gen- and the people coming up 10 years younger than us alike now. They're actually saying, no, I'm going to live life now on my terms. I've done my bit and we have done our bit and there is times when we do need to. And I think that's that's an important message, actually, that we can't throw, you know, small children and, and homes and jobs you know, just to the wall because we want to in those ages. We have certain responsibilities, but then there comes a time and perimenopause and beyond is that time when we're saying, now I put me in the picture, and it's very important for women to actually look and say, what do I want, as I said earlier, but reflect on that, start to build that. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to throw your job in the air. It doesn't mean you have to leave your husband. No, I think a lot of people find that a relationship has come to an end. But, you know, you might want to put ballet dance, you know, go ballet dancing and wear a tutu. Who cares what you do? But you get to, you get to do things that you maybe put off. Yeah. Absolutely. And to do it without guilt as well is so freeing. Yeah, absolutely. There's no guilt. You do it and you put yourself on the top of your to-do list. 
Yeah, that's really hard though for so many women to do. So many women to do. You know, and I ask people to give me a list of their priorities and then to add into that list where they are. I would suggest generally that they fall fifth, sixth, seventh. You know, there's work, there's partners, there's children, there's parents, there's, you know, all sorts of other things. And that they are low down the priority list. And when anybody higher up their priority list wants something, it's they jump and go, okay, what can I do? How can I help? And that's, that's, a, that's a female thing, it appears. Absolutely. And that's actually very well-known, very famous professor here in Sweden at the Karolinska, which is a huge medical research institute. And Marie Osberg created a thing she calls the exhaustion funnel. And that is exactly that, that you're nowhere on your to-do list. And when somebody else shouts, you drop them off and you slip a little further down that exhaustion funnel bit by bit. And and it's women mainly, and it's people who are very conscientious and caring who do that. Yeah, that would be interesting to uh, to see. Yeah. That research. We can share that. And she is 80 years old and she's still going strong. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> she's, a, she's a phenomenal woman. When she speaks, you know, Sweden stops, you know, Maria Spray spoke, you know. And I love that. I just love that. And, and it's so true. We're, where are we? We're sometimes, sometimes we're not even on the list. It's true. And, but there's so many emotions, there's so many negative emotions behind this, isn't there? You know, there's, there is that guilt about putting yourself first. Or, you know, being considered or viewed to be selfish because you've made that decision. And for a woman to be able to say no and or yes, but in fairness, with strength and assertiveness can be seen by others in such a negative way. But to be able to say no and is so, you know, use that word again is so empowering. And the more we do it and use it appropriately, the more empowering it becomes. I agree. And that ability to, have that word, say it right, not get to the point at the end of your tether and then scream at somebody, which of course is what often happens. And so we pick up those labels inadvertently because we've absolutely squawked at someone and we've just reached the end. We just have nothing left in the tank. And burnout is huge among women. It's much higher than it is among men. True burnout. Women just literally, their adrenals have given up the ghost. Yeah, absolutely. The adrenal glands, as as our ovaries decline in producing the eggs and and the estrogen, our adrenal glands take over the, or try to take over the production of estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. But the, there's so much stress in our lives. Stress has first core. They all share the same mother hormone. And so because stress has first core, the stress hormone response has first core on the body, there's less to go around to support estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. So stress is definitely the greatest contributor to hormone decline and the the symptoms that we experience because of it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, you know, I'm passionate about stress and helping women to manage stress just like you are, Claire. And I, if we don't address that, it doesn't really matter what else. Well, we won't be able to sleep very well. And we find it hard. I mean, hard to exercise. We're not motivated to eat well. We're stress eating because we're stressed, aren't we? So we're reaching for the things we're not meant to eat because we can't just deal with one bit of everything, can we? We have to deal with we have to deal with it bit by bit because we can't do all of it, but we have to eventually address address stress and then the things that flow from it. Yeah, and that takes us back in a circle to 
doing things that prioritize yourself. So it's doing things to help yourself reduce that internal stress to maybe, well, it's, whether it's yoga or meditation or going for a walk, you know, whatever people find is a stress, but singing, dancing, anything that helps. So, but that takes the back to doing something for yourself. And that may mean by trying to reduce your own internal stress bar and prioritizing yourself that you won't have the time to be able to serve everybody else. No. Yeah, that's where no becomes the word that we have to learn. Absolutely. And it's a very hard word. As we said, it's hard to learn to say no. But then, you know, we will feel better, not only because we've got less stress hormone, which is, you know, impacting our lives, but clearly we will have the ability to produce more maintenance levels of estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, which is may be sufficient, it may not be sufficient to support our needs, but it's certainly better than a depleted set of adrenal glands that don't hardly produce anything. Yeah, absolutely. Supporting our adrenals, reducing our internal stress has to be a big priority to help reduce and maybe even banish those unpleasant menopause symptoms. And of course, when you see the benefits, it like encourages you to or inspires you to keep on making change. Because you think, oh, I can do this. I can live with hot flushes because they're not so debilitating. I can live with waking up once in the night because it's not affecting my daily life too much and, and everything. And so, yeah, it's not a cure-all. There is no one size fits all. There is no one single lotion, potion or pill, which my clients hear me say so often. This takes a little bit of work, but it can be done. But there is, there is no magic wand. No, there isn't. And I think that's very hard for women to hear, isn't it, Claire? Because we're in a quick, quick sculpture. We are. We are. And 10 years, potentially 10 years of symptoms can seem such a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's almost impossible to think that we could be feeling various points in time, not all the time, in some way not on the top of our game. Absolutely. I just encourage women to do what they can to help themselves and make the best of these times and stay positive. Yeah, that's very important. In working with women, do you feel that we you start with stress or start with nutrition? Where is your where is that beginning for many of the women you work with? Always, always stress. It's absolutely the first thing that has to be looked at, and it can take a little while before moving on to the next step as well, because that has to be, as we've talked about quite a lot today, there has to be that confidence to be able to say no and to prioritise, to identify what would work for the individual to reduce that stress bar. But there is no point in changing nutrition, adding any supplements. I'm not a great supplement pusher, to be honest, but sometimes they're necessary. Exercising, whatever, that you have to, it's a real holistic approach and stress absolutely underpins it all, followed then by changing your internal biochemistry with some really good nutrition. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That sort of brain gut part of it can do so much, so, so much. But that's not the way it's always approached, is it then, Clara? You know, people start coming and saying, oh, well, and I'm not, an, I'm not anti-HRT, and I'm always saying that on some of the listeners I have a neutral stance because I believe it's an informed choice. But too often I see people peddling that as the, as the, the cure-all. 
I'd love to hear what you think as someone who works in this space. I don't think you've got the time to listen to that one. (laughs) But to be fair, I'm not anti-HRT either. I did take it. I shared why I chose to come off it. If I was on HRT now, if I was in that position now with the knowledge I have about HRT, I can honestly say I don't know what decision I would have made. But I do know that I would have alongside taking HRT, I would have still make the changes to nutrition and lifestyle that I encourage people to make anyway, because it's building optimum health, not just through menopause. It will allow the woman when she comes off HRT to it for an easier transition for sure. But I'm absolutely passionate about establishing health to allow women to live their best life beyond menopause. We're living so much longer. There's 25 to 30 years at least of opportunity to live a fantastic life. And I see the menopause years as the last opportunity really for someone to take control of their health by exploring nutrition and lifestyle. Because, you know, I don't know about where you are, but in the UK, 76% of people are on two or more prescription drugs age 60, 38% of which are on five or more. And the drugs that they tend to be uh, taking are for lifestyle diseases that if they take an action early enough, they could have either minimized those effects or completely banish them. So, you know, this is a great opportunity through menopause, whatever choice you make to create your optimum health beyond and not be one of those statistics. And that's a huge message to take on board because it's true that it gets harder as we get older to make lifestyle changes and the and they were already then in a decline that is harder to reverse. And that's shocking statistics, but I'm quite sure they'd be equally mirrored in any Western society and sadly also increasingly so in many developing countries. Diabetes, cholesterol issues, issues with our blood pressure and more are are pretty common conditions, serious conditions, life-threatening conditions that women and men have. And they are, as you say, mostly related to lifestyle medicine, which takes us full circle to the conversation if doctors had more training in that space. Some of that would be that be different. And I know, and I'm speaking, obviously, I have a lot of fantastic medical friends who are definitely opening their eyes to this and going, oh, yes, this is a space I need to be much more connected to. Absolutely. And if we keep on banging about it, uh, you know, talking about it and banging on about it and waving our banners and throwing our posters around or whatever it is, somewhere that little germ will land and it will be picked up and snowball, hopefully. And certainly in the UK, that is happening. It is slow. It is frustratingly slow. But, you know, there there are some good movements going on to make to really make a difference. There are. I mean, I love Doctor's Kitchen. I've been following him for a long time <laughs> with his cooking and health and wellness. And I think that's inspirational because he's a young A&E doctor when he started that. And it's like, yeah, that's sort of seeing the value of nutrition and, and supporting that. We need that to be a movement and getting people to move and getting people to rest and meditate. But it is a huge shift for people who are trained very traditionally, trained in 
infection control and modern surgery methods to have to embrace things. And some of the people who teach them are not saying young, upcoming medical students or younger doctors, but many of the people who run those institutions are extremely uncomfortable with what they think is woo-woo. Yeah, it's true. Just to be a little bit controversial here, you know, throw in the question, do we believe that women's health has been neglected by the medical profession for too long? Yeah, well, I know that's true. <laughs> I know that I know the, the science and the evidence, and I'm sure you do too, Claire, you're throwing that back at me. But absolutely, I think that that's, that's an incredibly valid, I mean, question. And it, we know that women's heart disease and the detection, for example, of a heart attack, as you know as well, Claire, has been based on male data and that some of the symptoms, some of the signals that we're having a heart attack don't necessarily apply to women. So if you're a listener, listen to this carefully because if you have acute pain in your stomach area, in your back, you feel incredibly tired and you don't know why, you should be going immediately to ANA because you could, and I mean really acute pain, you would be going to check out whether you've had a heart attack or are having one because you may not have the typical chest clutching, pain down the arm syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. And more women percentage-wise die of heart problems. And a lot of that, I believe, is due to the fact that we don't recognize the symptoms that can affect us as women. Exactly. And the same goes for brain health, for dementia and Alzheimer's. I belong to the Women's Brain Health forum group that's run out of British Columbia in Canada. And a very senior specialist said, women have been dismissed, ignored. They're not treated properly in the system. They don't follow the symptoms and signs that women have this as a major issue. Because actually, we know that two thirds of dementia and Alzheimer's sufferers are female. Yeah. And that's often put down to declining estrogen. But uh, and I'm sure that has an effect because there are estrogen receptors in the brain. Um, but again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I do believe that we can do something to negate the potential for that mental decline as we go through years. I mean, there are, you know, think about some women living happily, like the lady you spoke about in her 80s, 80s and 90s, even hundreds who their mental acuity is excellent. So it's not inevitable at all. So if we can help ourselves avoid a decline, then good for us. Yes. And I think that's like you as a nutritional therapist would look at a holistic way of eating and living, wouldn't you, Claire? Not, not just supplements or bits and bobs. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is no supplement, I say, that or lotion, potion or pill that can cure all those menopause ills. And it's sad sometimes when I look at somebody's, say, food diary and see that they are not having tremendously nutritious, I hate the word diet, of nutritious intake. When I look at the amount of pills they're taking, then it's incredible that they've spent so much money. But I don't know, Carissa, if you've heard of a lady who used to be on the UK television some years ago called Gillian McKeith. Yes, I remember the name. And remember her. She had the program called You Are What You Eat. But actually, you are not what you eat. You are what you can eat, what you can absorb, what you can then utilize, and really important, what you can excrete. There's a whole pathway for that. And once that pathway strength is established, then you really don't need 
you can have a good diet, but you really don't need to support with too many supplements. No. And I think you're echoing something that I heard from a very senior gastroenterologist who's also a health coach, that supplements are all good and well, but in his mind, he's a well. He said, you're better off eating properly and have a proper proper diet, a, a diet that actually is based. As, and we all know what it is, right? We all know that we're meant to be eating a high proportion of plant-based foods. We all know let more fish if we eat fish or pulses. We I think there's no one who doesn't deep down kind of know that. It's more how we get there and and how we stay on that diet. Yeah, absolutely. And it's breaking years and years and years of, of bad habits. And I talk to people about it. I'm going to, I say to them, I'm not going to tell you anything you didn't know. <laughs> you're right. There is no, there's not that we didn't know. It's just, it is, you're right. It's about habit. And our habits are very ingrained and they're very hard to change. Yeah, absolutely. And there are many, many excuses or stories as I see them as to why that can't be. be. And so, for example, I hear, well, my husband only eats meat and two veg every main meal, or my children don't eat this, or I don't have the time. So they are stories, and those are stories that have to be worked on to encourage um, the woman to start to, again, to prioritize herself and start to make the change that's going to build her body strength and allow her to live her best life. Exactly. It's individual as well, isn't it? I mean, each individual is different and needs a different level of support. We're starting from a different start point. Yeah, absolutely. And that's important to realize we are all unique. All of us are unique. All of us have different reasons for not creating change. So working with somebody to support them, to encourage that change, to hold them accountable in that change is also important. I'm not prescriptive with what I um, suggest to people. I look at where they are now and and how we can take them to the next step, but blasting through the roadblocks that are stopping them from taking those next steps, whatever those are. I love that, blasting through roadblocks. <laughs> that sounds like what we have to do. And I think there's some of the roadblocks are in our mind, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. So we have to explore the whys behind that. We certainly do. We come for a circle. I think one of the questions I do want to ask you is about positivity that is now really moving forward in some doctor's surgeries, isn't it? I mentioned that we had them in every the posters in every GP surgery in Wales. How many people are visiting GP surgeries at the moment? I don't know due to uh, the restrictions, but hopefully they will. Things will return to something more like normal fairly soon. And we are currently working with MPs to build up a greater menopause awareness that will embrace getting the posters seen again in GP surgeries in England. But we have such amazing support from individuals, particularly workplaces, particularly the NHS, who are downloading the poster and support pack and sharing it with their colleagues where they can, they're pinning up um, the poster. So we are getting there. We are reaching people and the feedback is so positive and we're just you know hoping that we can create that change and take away the fear around menopause i love that and how can people get involved with that to go on twitter if you're on twitter to go to positivity2 so that's pause p a u s e yes pause p a u s activity i can't see it in my head to spell it out positivity2 
or the Positivity website, which is positivity.co.uk. And just download the poster. And we've got a great support pack in there as well, which suggests some self-care options. It gives some suggestions of questions to ask your GP to make sure you get the best out of a GP appointment and you come away feeling heard, not just listened to, and some resources. And it's all free. We give everything away for free. I absolutely love that. And I'd like to see that become a movement everywhere. It's probably harder where there's more, should we say, private health. But in certainly here where I live, I mean, you and I have talked about this, how do we make this happen in other countries? Because I know you already have it in certain languages, don't you? Yeah, we have it. Well, we have it in Urdu to support the BAME community. We have it in German. We have it in Danish. We have it in Welsh, obviously. We even have it in Gaelic for those in Scotland. And we're really open to anybody who would like it translated into their own language. And we will share that with you as well. I think that is fantastic. And I I love that. We'll talk about that more, you and I. (laughs) But also that this can become a movement. And I think it's done in such a beautiful way, which is why I wanted to come back to this conversation, that this is a way that you know, we can begin to ask the right questions when we're a bit stuck and don't know what to ask and making sure that we're, as you said, heard. And if that became, you know, a movement that was seamless throughout the world, just think of the conversations women could begin to initiate and feel empowered to talk about their menopause. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on a really important point there. It opens up those conversations And that's what we need to do. We need to open up conversations. This has been taboo or hidden, brushed under the carpet for far too long. And the more we talk about it, the more we are open about it, um, the more we can share information. And particularly as we are so unique, it's it's good to know that you're not alone. It's good to know that it's not a transition that will be even it's like a roller coaster and we can only find that out by sharing information with each other and being supportive of each other and understanding absolutely and that is the biggest single power that each of us have we can feel connected reach out speak up ask questions and know that nothing we ask here is wrong or stupid we have to ask and we have to feel connected because once you talk about it, guess what? Someone else is going to say, well, that's me too. Wow. Yeah. And just sharing information. You know, it's a, and knowing this at the moment with, with COVID and things, it's just giving somebody a virtual hug can be as effective as giving, you know, a real hug. Yeah. Just, just to be there for somebody is so, so lovely. It is. Claire, I love talking to you. We could talk all day. We could. <laughs> but I'd love to let our listeners know how they can connect with you and learn more about what you do and obviously what Positivity does. Okay, so I shared the Positivity website with you, positivity.co.uk. Please go onto there and download the poster and support pack and you know, use it, share it, you know, share the love with other people. If you want to connect with me directly, go onto my website, which is Your New Life Plan, because it is a new life, so hence the name. So yournewlifeplan.com. I've got lots of information there to help you with symptom management and blog posts. 
and freebies to, again, that you can log on to and start your own menopause journey or menopause control responsibility journey, however, yeah, to start to make a difference. So, yeah. Claire, I love talking to you. Thank you so much for giving your time today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me and I would love to hear from you so drop me an email clarissa at clarissachristensen.com I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast and if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support pop over to my website clarissachristensen.com you can find free resources And you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. Save big money now on new siding from LP SmartSide at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP SmartSide today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.